Hello, and welcome to the Big Leads Press Pass podcast. I'm your host, Liam McEwen, and today with us, we have a very special guest. You might have seen him on TV once or twice. His name is Stan Verrett. He is the anchor for Late Night Sports Center on ESPN, among many other talents. Stan, thank you so much for joining us today. Liam, thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Always happy to talk with an ESPN personality, especially one such as yourself. Very uh, decorated history with the network, and I'm really excited to get to talk to you. But first, I wanted to congratulate you on your contract extension with ESPN that was announced uh, earlier this summer. And just wanted to ask you, man, I mean, you ever think you'd be in this position back when you were just growing up in, you know, New Orleans? Just you not only are you a sports center anchor, but it's got an extension to stay even longer in this gig. I mean, where's your head at after that? Well, it was it was always my dream. Uh, once I realized I wasn't going to be able to play for the New Orleans Saints, I said, well, how can I be around sports and use the talents and gifts that I do have? And, you know, my writing and speaking skills were identified early um, as a talent. And mm-hmm. so my mom, who was who was was an educator, she's retired now, but she was a college professor and, you know, she she picked out early on that um, sports was my thing and that uh, I had solid speaking and, and writing skills. And so one of the things she did, she got me a subscription to Sports Illustrated when I was five years old. And um, the deal was that I could get the subscription, but any word that I encountered in reading the magazine, I had to look it up. <laughs> and so that not only increased my vocabulary, it, it instilled in me a lifelong love of reading, mm-hmm. which as you know, from being a writer and a, and a broadcaster yourself, all good readers, all good writers are great readers. Very much so. Um, and, and I believe most great broadcasters are great watchers um, in terms of just learning from other people mm-hmm. uh, in, in the industry. And so it was always my dream to, to get to where I am. Once I decided I wanted to do sports, um, then it became a thing where, okay, well, I'll, I'll work my way up to local sports, but ESPN is is the place you want to be. If you cover sports, um, that that's the place to be. And it has all the inventory. Um, it has all the infrastructure in place to allow you to have a long lasting solid career, which is what I've had. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to continue doing the work that I've been doing and, uh, hopefully doing some new things as well. And, um, things are great. I'm really excited about it. Absolutely. And that point you mentioned about great, broadcasters being good watchers is definitely one that I think holds up. I've had the pleasure of talking to a couple of play-by-play guys on this podcast from Fox Sports, and they said very similar things about, you know, they're, they're, they're studying, their version of studying and their version of grinding tape is watching other broadcasters and kind of picking up on the notes. So when you were growing up, what, what broadcasters did you like watching and sort of wanted to, you know, if, if anybody wanted to be like them? Well, growing up in New Orleans, there were, there were three figures who were, who were really important to me. Um, Warren Bell was a newscaster in New Orleans. Norman Robinson, also a newscaster in New Orleans. And Roe Brown, who was a sportscaster in New Orleans. And uh, they were three black men all on TV in New Orleans at a time when they were the only three. Mm. And um, first of all, seeing that example, that, that it could be done, that, um, that, that there were people who looked just like me who were on TV in my hometown who were doing it. As a matter of fact, I just put together a a video for Roe. Roe just got uh, inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. Um, He had a great career 
uh, there. He's in semi-retirement now, but still dabbles in some projects. So, so those guys were, were instrumental. Um, on the national level, I was always a fan of Brian Gumbel. Mm-hmm. Um, his, his intelligence uh, just, just poured through the camera. I mean, you could, you could really see how smart he was by, by watching him. Um, he was um, a, a very important role model for me. And the fact that his family came from New Orleans as well was, 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 was fantastic to me. And then when ESPN came along, um, I loved the Dan Patrick, Keith Oberman sports centers. Uh, I thought the interplay between the two of them was, uh, was fantastic. I learned a lot from that, um, from watching them just about every time they were on, um, just about how you work together as a team and um, how you can take two very different approaches, put them together, and that makes a great team. And learning that lesson from watching them, same thing with uh, Stuart Scott and Rich Eisen mm-hmm. um, and, and some of the other teams that I saw over the years on, on ESPN really helped to inform my understanding of, of how to do SportsCenter, which, which is a show I wanted to do, um, and the Late Night Sports Center, which is the show that I wanted to do because it was the one that I watched the most. Um, I, I learned a lot from watching those guys and, see how, and seeing how they interacted with each other. When you realized that Sports Center was what you wanted to do, you wanted to be on that screen, you wanted to be on that set hosting Sports Center. What kind of, how did you try to accomplish that? Basically, what were your earliest steps as far as trying to build up your skill set and your resume to get to the point where you could have that opportunity? Well, I've actually had two separate careers. Um, one was in radio. They they tell you when you get started to get in any way you can. Mm-hmm. And so my my way into broadcasting was through radio. Um, there was a radio station in New Orleans, WYLD FM. Everybody listened to it. It was the R&B station in New Orleans. And I heard one day that the program director was going to be at this. He, he also did the morning show. He was going to be at this at this bowling lane near my house in New Orleans for, for a remote broadcast. So I said, I'm going to go. And um, I'm going to just meet this guy and try to see if I can get into this radio station somehow. The only thing I had done up to that point was working for a station in New Orleans called WRBH. And RBH stood for Radio for Blind and Handicapped. Mm-hmm. And what this station did was read magazines and newspaper over the air for people who were visually impaired, who, who couldn't read it themselves. It was a tremendous service. And so I got a job there. It wasn't paid. It was all volunteer. Um, and so I would read magazines on the air for people who were visually impaired. And that was my earliest broadcast experience. That was all I had on my resume. But now I'm going to try to work for this commercial station. So I go there and, and, and I meet him. And that's literally I have my name, my address and and WRBH on my resume. And he was impressed with my with my um, ambition to come there and meet him and and you know, to, to, to approach this seriously. And so he told me, yeah, just come by the station and, you know, we'll figure something out. So I spent my afternoons um, at the radio station, just learning everything, talking with the announcers, watching them work. And so then I, I went to Howard University in Washington, got there, got a job on the student station, uh, came back to New Orleans the summer after my freshman year and started working at that same station. Um, doing overnights on the weekends during the summer. So I get back to D.C. Mm-hmm. and the program director, who I originally met at that bowling lane, he's now the program director of a station in Washington, D.C. 
So I hear him on the air. I'm like, I can't believe this. <laughs> so I call him up and I say, hey, I, you know, I heard you on the air, man. I, I want to come in and, and, and meet with you. He said, meet with me. He's like, I'm in Washington, D.C. I said, I know. So am I. Said, what are you doing here? I said, I go to Howard's. Come on down. I got an opening. So I wound up working at that radio station all through my, my college years. Mm-hmm. Um, also worked at the Washington Post uh, as a copy aide and a news aide during that time. I was also the sports editor of our campus newspaper um, at Howard. Um, so I, I had a very busy undergraduate a career getting prepared on all three fronts, radio, um, television, and print. Um, we had a student-produced newscast at Howard, which I was the first anchor on with Michelle Miller, who's now on uh, CBS News. Mm-hmm. We were the first anchors of a Howard student-produced television show. So um, I was trying to prepare from every angle while I decided what it was that I really wanted to do. Well, when I got out of school, um, there was a radio station in Charleston, South Carolina that had an opening. I knew the consultant for that station. And he said, hey, man, if you want the job, you got it. So I packed up everything I had, moved down to Charleston, South Carolina, stayed at that station for three years. Eventually, the whole staff got fired after three years. Um, and so then I, I took some time off during that time, uh, unwanted time off. Um, mm-hmm. But 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 time off during that time, just kind of figure out where I wanted things to go. And I said, you know, either I'm going to go to law school or business school or both. I'm going to stay in radio or I'm going to get into television. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've become a little disillusioned with with the, the salary reality um, in broadcasting up to that point. I mean, I wasn't making a lot of money in radio. It, it, it was it was fun. I was really having a blast doing it, but I wasn't wasn't making a lot of money doing it. And um, I kind of felt like it was a young person's business that over time, you know, it, it would be time to segue into television, which was really the long term goal. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I just spent a lot of time thinking about how to approach that, um, about how I wanted that career to unfold, uh, reading a lot, spent a lot of time with friends. So it was, it was a really productive five months that, that I really needed because um, a lot of things that happened during that time, just for me personally, just spending the time thinking and reading and just trying to decide how I wanted to approach things really paid off over the years. So I'm really grateful for that time now. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, you're going to get fired. People told me this and I didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you're, you're going to get fired at some point. It just happens. It's just the nature of the business. I'm like, no one's going to fire me. <laughs> I'm going to always be so valuable. No one would ever dream of firing me, but it happened, you know, and, you know, lesson learned. Uh, people are right when they say that. So you, you don't take it personally. You just kind of, you know, keep it moving. It's, it's the business. Mm-hmm. Um, but that time off really, really benefited me. So then there was an opening at a, at a radio station in Norfolk, Virginia. Wound up going there, um, worked there for two years doing a morning show. Our morning show was number one morning show in the market, um, 103 Jams in, in Norfolk. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I started making the transition into television. Um, a good friend of mine, Barbara Sierra, she's uh, an anchor at uh, the CBS affiliate in Norfolk. Barbara had the best parties at her house and everybody uh, in, in media circles there would go to Barbara's parties at her house. So one night I'm at her party with a bunch of other media people and she says, Stan, you ever thought about getting into television? I was like, funny, you should ask. <laughs> uh, and so she called in a favor to a friend at, at the NBC affiliate there, mm-hmm. uh, Bruce Rader, who's still there, who's still the sports director there, 
who gave me what amounted to an internship. Now, I wasn't in college, so I couldn't get any credit. Um, I didn't have any marketable skills, so they couldn't pay me. Uh, so it was just sort of, I was hanging out at the station. But I decided, and again, this goes back to that five months that I had off, mm-hmm. where I said, when I get an opportunity, I'm going to seize it. And so here's that opportunity. And now I understand that I have to seize this and I have to make this what I want it to be. So I treated it as if that was my job. That was the second job. And so every day I got up at 5 a.m. Sorry, got to got to the station at 5 a.m. Um, at the radio station. Did the morning show from 6 to 10. Um, handled any production duties that I had afterwards until about 11. I would go home, take a nap from 12 until 3. And then at 3.30, I was at the television station and I stayed until after the late news was off until 11.30. So this went on for, from this started in August, went through the whole football season. And about midway through, uh, Bruce, the sports director, let me know that the number three guy at the station, who was a producer, but he filled in as a sports anchor, was going to be getting another job um, in Washington, D.C. So he was going to be leaving, and they were going to need a number three sports anchor. So once again, I'm like, got to seize this opportunity. Mm-hmm. So every Saturday, toward the back end of that, October, November, December, every Saturday at 6.35, after the 6 o'clock news went off, I had to do my own five-minute sportscast. And, you know, my instructions were very direct that at 6.35, the camera starts rolling and either you're ready to go or you're not. And if you're not ready to go, it's going to bars and tone and that's going to be your tape. So I spent the whole afternoon on Saturday getting ready for that for that five minute broadcast. And I had to do everything as if I were actually doing it. And um, the crew was doing me a favor, staying over the camera crew and the studio crew were doing me a favor to stay over for the extra 10 minutes. That's their dinner break the start of their dinner break. So I was trying to be courteous to them for being courteous to me. And also 635, the tape was rolling. So this went on for months and months and months. And so for October, November, December. So finally, Christmas Eve, 1994, a couple of days before that, Bruce comes in and he says, okay, you're going to be on, on on Friday night. And I just got this pit in my stomach. Like, okay, this is real. I I was, I was really, really excited, but I was also terrified. Mm -hmm. Because here it is, I'm, I'm actually going to be on TV. It's not practice anymore. Um, and, and, and this is real. So I, I, you know, I go on. We only had an 11 o'clock that night. And so I had all day to prepare. And I went, I might have gone in at noon for an 11 o'clock show. But I was like, everything's going to be perfect. I'm going to over-prepare. So we go on and, and everything's great. I mean, it, it, it couldn't have gone better. And all the staff members from the station, I mean, they were a fantastic crew at, at WAVY in, in Norfolk, then in the, in the mid-90s. Everybody's calling, oh, man, you did such a great job. You're a natural. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, this is great. You know? So then uh, the next night, Christmas night, same thing. I got all day to prepare. Well, we get around to the next weekend, and I'm on again. But now we have a 6 and, a, and an 11. Mm. So I don't have as much time to prepare for the 11. The 6 goes fine. But we get to the 11. And, you know, I'm not a great editor yet. Um, I'm not a great producer yet. And, you know, this is one man band. There's no producer. There's no editor. You got to cut your own video. You got to write all the scripts. You got to do everything yourself. Um, So I start to realize after the the six o'clock show that I really need to do a whole different show 
at 11, with the exception of the NFL football playoffs mm. um, that were going to be in that show. But then there are all these other bowl games that I needed to cut and um, get that information together. So we get to, you know, 1030, 1045, and I've cut the video, but I haven't really written up scripts for the video. So I say, I'm going to go out, and I'm just going to ad lib off the, off the cut sheets from the wire service, from, from the, the, the video wire service. And I'm just going to ad lib my way through it. Mm. Well, it's my third time on television. And, it, you know, I, I can pretty much <laughs> guarantee you nobody in their third time on television is going to be that good at ad libbing. Mm. But I said I was going to try it. And so I'm doing the NFL highlights. And I'm thinking about the fact that we're going to get to these college football highlights soon here. And I have no idea how this is going to go because I'm just going to, I have plays circled on these cut sheets and I don't, I'm not prepared. Yeah. So I'm sweating profusely off camera while I'm doing the NFL highlights. So then I come out with a lead into the college football highlights and I'm just drenched in sweat. And I'm worried about how this is going to go. And then they roll the tape and I'm, it's a, it's a disaster. Mm-hmm. And so the director gets in my ear and he says, I kind of feel like you don't know what's going on here. And I'm shaking my head. No, you know, we're off camera and I'm shaking my head. No, so he's like, okay, we're going to bail on this. So we bail. So we come out and the news director says, Stan, thank you. We'll be right back. Right. So I'm like, oh, I feel awful about this. And I'm worried about who saw it. Now, the saving grace in all this is that it was New Year's Eve. And it's the 11 o'clock news on New Year's Eve. Nobody's watching. People are out, <laughs> you know, getting ready to party or they're watching Dick Clark or they're not watching the local news at 11 o'clock on, on, on New Year's Eve. So almost nobody saw it. So I was, I was really happy about that. Um, but, but I did go to a party later that night and, um, one of my, one of my colleagues from the radio station, his girlfriend was there and she said, Hey, you know, I watched you on the news tonight. It's like, didn't seem like you had your thing together. And I'm like, no, no, I really did. I'm like, don't tell anybody about that. Okay. I'm like nobody saw it. Don't tell anybody. But that again was a seminal experience because it taught me you can never, ever, ever go on the air unprepared. You just can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're begging for a disaster to happen if you go in the air unprepared. And that has been a, a, a mantra for me throughout my career. You have to be prepared. Um, you, you, you can over-prepare, but if you under-prepare, you're, you're going to be in serious trouble. Um, so I'm actually glad that it happened. I'm glad that it happened the way that it happened and nobody saw it. Um, I'm glad that the tape probably doesn't exist anywhere. And if it does, I'll pay whoever has it to keep it <laughs> private. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so 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 I worked there in Norfolk. Uh, eventually, wound up leaving the NBC affiliate to go to the ABC affiliate because they had what amounted to um, what I consider like a local version of Sports Center. It was a, a three block sports show on Sunday night, mm-hmm. um, which occupied the last 15 minutes of the newscast. It was news for 20 minutes and then 15 minutes of sports at the end. And it, it was fantastic. Um, and so I, I wanted to get my hands on that show. So when that job opened up, I, I switched stations, went there. And um, that was my sports center at the time. You know, I would, I would, I would do my show. It was a mix of national and local sports. Um, but I wanted that show to be every bit as good as sports center. Mm-hmm. And that was during the time when Dan and Keith were on on Sunday night. And so here I am with my local sports show in Norfolk, and I would compare it to what they were doing on, on SportsCenter. 
But my approach was always that I can't wait until I get to Sports Center to decide that I want to approach the job as if I'm on Sports Center. I have to approach every single job as if I'm on Sports Center because that's the only job I have mm-hmm. at that time. And nobody's going to look at my tape and say, well, here's a guy who looks like he could be on Sports Center one day. They have to look at my tape and say, here's a guy who looks like he, he should be on Sports Center right now. And so that was always what I wanted my, my tape to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so that show really helped out a lot because it was, you know, it had commercial breaks in it. It was a real show. It wasn't just three minutes and you're done. Yeah. It, was, it was an actual show. Um, so after that, I leave and I, I leave Norfolk and I go to New Orleans, go home, um, which was a, a real thrill because I got to cover the teams I grew up watching, LSU and the Saints and Tulane. And so that, that, was, that was a lot of fun. And then finally in 2000, um, sent the tape to ESPN. They liked it. I had actually met Al Jaffe, who was uh, really uh, the guy who hired generations, the first couple of generations of sports center anchors. He hired every one of them, um, the way I understand it. And so Al would always come to the National Association of Black Journalists Convention every year. And I would always go to the ESPN booth so he could look at my tape. So he had been watching me for a couple of years before I actually wound up getting the job. And one of the things that really motivated me was I'm going to see Al again at the convention mm-hmm. and I want to have some great material to show him. And so not only did I want to do an excellent job for the people who were paying me, but I also had my eye on the future for um, what I, what I wanted my work to, to represent on the quality that I wanted to put into it. So there. So then in 2000, I finally get the ESPN. So that, that's a long and winding road. Yeah. Be right back with more gold after a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Our friends in Manscaped have cleared you off for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new Lawnmower 4.0. Inside this package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system. This fourth generation trimmer also features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock, and is even waterproof. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker. It's like having a little astronaut to chop your worst weeds up top in your nose and ear. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. So what got you from that jump from just showing the tape to Al to getting into ESPN? So I, my, my college roommate um, is an investment banker who's also an attorney, and he's from Chicago. He had a friend who's also an attorney in Chicago um, who started, uh, she was a real estate attorney. She started doing um, the real estate transactions for local TV personalities in Chicago because her sister was an anchor at WGN. So she eventually started a, a boutique business as a broadcast agent because some of the people in Chicago didn't have agents. She did their closings for the real estate and they said, hey, can you take a look at my broadcast contract? She said, yeah, contract's a contract. So she looked at it, 
started to learn the business, then decided she wanted to branch out from just Chicago. So I met her through my roommate, Gary. And so, so she comes down to New Orleans on, on vacation, mm. sees me on TV and says, listen, I think you're really, really good. And I could take you wherever you want to go. And so I said, okay, tell you what, I'll send you my tape. You find me a job that I want to take. And then I'll sign with you when I take that job. And sure enough, she uh, contacted Al. I knew Al already, but uh, she contacted Al and, and sent him the tape and, you know, it all worked out. Mm -hmm. So this was during the ESPN news era. So there were a lot more jobs uh, for anchors because of ESPN news. And so there, there were positions there. And when you said that you wanted people to look at your tape and decide this is a guy who can be on SportsCenter right now, what specifically about your broadcasting did you want people to look at and think that? Like what particular elements of how you presented yourself and the poise and that kind of thing that you had on TV made you want, or how did you try to drive that so that people would look at you and think that? So when I was in Norfolk, uh, there, there, there was a heated morning, well, not, not a heated battle, but there, there was, there was a, a morning show race in Norfolk mm. where the NBC affiliate was absolutely killing everybody else in the morning. So the, the ABC where I was, was trying to find a way to compete. Yeah. And so I was doing well on, 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 on our sportscast, um, the, the, the Sunday sports special, which I was telling you about earlier. Uh, but I also was still doing the radio morning show. So the news director got the idea that maybe I could move from sports to the TV morning show and, and be successful there. Mm -hmm. So it was, it, it was a big decision for me because, because of my delivery, people have always said, man, you'd be great as a news anchor, you know, leaving sports and doing news. But I never wanted to do it because I love sports so much. So the news director there said, why don't you go down and meet with our consultants? And our consultants will not only figure out whether you can do news, whether you have what it takes to do it, really. Um, and then you can figure out whether it's something you want to do. So I went down to Dallas and I met with um, Audience Research and Development, ARD, which was one of the leading consulting firms. Um, during that time. And I met a woman named Lynn Gartley, who was a consultant for them, who taught me more about television in two days than anybody had up to that point. I mean, it was really just, it, it, was, it was a fascinating experience that still pays dues every single day. And, um, and, and I told her I wanted to be a, a, a compelling watch. I wanted to be the most informative. I wanted to be the most engaging. Um, I wanted my visual presentation to be um, top notch. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted people to have just a, a, a first-class experience if they tuned in and I was on in, in, in every way possible. I wanted people to really enjoy it, to feel like they got something out of it that would make them want to come back again the next time I was on, and then eventually to, to seek me out, you know? And so Lynn taught me how you do that in television. Yeah. Um, and it, it, was, it was just... I can't say enough about, about that two-day experience at AR&D with her. Um, we, we reconnected a couple of years ago through the magic of Facebook, and I thanked her profusely 
for everything she did in those two days because it really, it really um, helped me to understand how things work in television. I'll give you another simple example. When I was in New Orleans, we'd be at Saints camp or, or LSU camp in the summer. In New Orleans, the heat is sweltering. And, and it's not just hot, it's humid. And so you sweat out your clothes. And so the, the standard format, which kind of everybody does now, the standard thing was people would wear a station polo when they went out, mm. you know, to, to, to do a story, do a stand-up. And I said, I'm not doing that. I'm wearing a shirt and tie and a jacket as if I were in the studio. And so I would tell the photographer, make sure you, you're, in, you're in focus, make sure you're white balance, okay, on this camera, because I got maybe two or three takes on this stand-up before I sweat these clothes out. <laughs> and so we got to get it done in, in just a couple takes. But my thinking there was that when I saw Sal Palantonio come to cover a story with the Saints or Ed Werder come to cover a story with the Saints, they weren't in a polo. They were in a shirt and tie and a jacket, okay? And they work for ESPN. And so if that's the standard at ESPN, that's going to be my standard too. And so, you know, I, the, a lot of jokes, you know, a lot of guys, dude, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> but that was, that was something that I felt like I had to do to present the information the way I wanted to present it in a manner that I thought was befitting somebody on, on television doing a sportscast in a major market like New Orleans. And, and in addition to that, when I saw the guys from ESPN come, they didn't, you know, put on a polo shirt. They had on the, the, the full regalia. So that's what I did. So I, I, I've always had a very serious approach. Absolutely. And I think that does illustrate that point beautifully. And insofar as your serious approach, you did explain to us, you know, when you first started doing those sports hits, you were in the studio at noon for a five-minute hit at 6.30. So what was the lead up like to your first ESPN broadcast? So it was a one to four Eastern on a Sunday. Now you can't show NFL video until after the games are over mm. because of the broadcast rights agreements. So it was a million score panels and then whatever else was going on in sports on, on a Sunday afternoon during football season, which isn't much. And so when you've done, you know, 15 or 20 minutes, you know, is the extent of what you've done and you're on solo for three hours. I mean, it, I was so tired of talking after, after those three hours. I mean, it was just, it was just, it, it was overwhelming. Mm. And then I thought to myself, I have to come back and do this again tomorrow. <laughs> it's not like this was like a one-off special where I'm on mm. for three hours by myself, but it was, it was, it was trial by fire. I mean, I got in and, you know, immediately um, I had to hit, hit, hit the ground running. And so then I realized that day the challenge of, the challenge of working, at some, working somewhere like ESPN because, you know, not only was I expected to endure for that long, but there was an expectation of the quality that you had to maintain for that long. And that's a very tough thing to do. And again, I'm glad that it happened because I don't think there's anything harder to do than that. Mm -hmm. Eddie ESPN three hours solo on a Sunday afternoon without a lot of accompanying video. Yeah, that does not sound easy to fill the time. <laughs> how did that, you know, obviously like that trial by fire. I mean, how did, how long did it take you to get kind of used to that and kind of get the groove of doing these long solo sessions or just even just the general length and all? Um, you know, I, I didn't have the luxury of, of ramping up. Mm. You know, I, I had to get in and do it and do it well. 
because that's the expectation. I mean, it's a worldwide leader. It's not, you know, hey, I'm going to practice here, you know, and, and hopefully in a few months I'll be ready to, to really show them what I got. No, you got to, you got to hit the ground running. And, uh, and, and so I did. And I, you know, spent a lot of time at the hotel making sure that I was boned up on hockey names um, because I hadn't covered, I covered a lot of minor league hockey, but I never covered the NHL on a daily basis. So none of the markets where I worked um, had NHL teams. So I put a particular emphasis on that because, you know, I looked at it as let me turn the, the, the gaps in what I've done into strengths. Yeah. You know, I had some, some weird strengths um, when I got to ESPN, women's basketball, uh, women's college basketball and NASCAR were two of my real strengths because of where I came from. Yeah. Um, in Norfolk, those were two of our biggest things because Old Dominion was a dominant program. So we covered women's basketball really as much as we covered men's college basketball in ACC territory because Old Dominion was so good um, at the time. Um, and we had a minor league hockey team in, in Norfolk that was, that was really, really popular as well. So I knew hockey as a sport. I just didn't know all the personalities in the NHL. So I, so I had to learn all that. And then NASCAR, one of the reasons why I came in so early for those shows in Norfolk was because um, we had a local driver in, in Norfolk, uh, in NASCAR, Ricky Rudd, who was from Chesapeake, which is a part of that market. And uh, then the, the Sadler brothers, Hermie Sadler and Elliot Sadler, were from Emporia down the road in Virginia. And so people wanted to know how they did in every race. Mm. And so I couldn't just use the satellite feed NASCAR highlight. People wanted more in our market. So I actually had to come in and take every race start to finish and cut my own highlight. So there had to be some Ricky Rudd in every one of my NASCAR reports yes. because that was the first thing people wanted to know. How'd Ricky do? And then how'd the Sadler brothers do? So I would come in, if the race was at noon, I had to come in, pop a tape in, and, and tape the entire race and cut my own custom highlight. But I think over time, people knew that I was going to have not a 30-second satellite feed highlight, but a two-minute NASCAR highlight that was going to let you know what, how the Sadler brothers did, how Ricky Rudd did, all the relevant lead changes and crashes, and then the checker flag at the end. So we also had, we also covered what was then the, the Bush Grand National Circuit, which was the minor leagues in NASCAR. We covered the trucks. Um, and we also had a local dirt track mm -hmm. where all three of the stations had a car in those races on Saturday night. So we had to shoot that and cover that as well. So, so NASCAR was, was a real strength of mine. So I, I just, um, I worked on turning the things that I didn't cover every day into, into strengths the same way that NASCAR and women's college basketball have become strengths just by covering them every day. And as just a journalist and a broadcaster, how was sort of that adjustment from going from pretty much only being in local markets and really honing in on the stuff that you know your market really wants to know about to adjusting to, you know, being on a national network like ESPN and kind of having to, you know, it's still the basic concept, right, of appealing to the audience and giving people the information they want, the highlights they want, things like that. But I mean, the, obviously the differences of what those are, are really substantial. So, I mean, when you were first at ESPN, how did you deal with that adjustment? Well, it's a tremendous volume of information, mm. you know, because you're expected to know everything about everything in sports. Yeah. I mean, that's just the expectation because you're on ESPN. Yeah. So that, that's a tremendous task. 
okay? And we don't really know everything about everything, but we know everything about the things we have to know, right? Mm -hmm. um, for, for, for a particular show. So you also have tremendous resources because you're at ESPN. ESPN research is the best in the business. The ESPN stats and info, they're tremendous. I mean, I can ask them, what is Mookie Betts hitting in day games on the road against left-handed pitching, um, you know, whatever, whatever obscure stat you come up with. And they'll say, give me, give me a couple seconds. And they'll say 279, right? And, you know, it, it's phenomenal what they can do. Um, so you have all the resources in the world. And then there's the internet, which you can, you can really find anything you really need to know on the internet just by doing a simple search. So the information's out there. So then your job becomes a matter of, uh, uh, your job becomes a matter of editing in terms of from everything that's out there, what is essential for me to know? Um, and then I'll start there and then, and then just work out from there. So, so as, as the seasons change, the sporting seasons change, um, you know, you, you, you follow different people, you, you call on different resources to kind of stay up on, on whatever's going on. Mm -hmm. um, but today, in, in, in the modern world, the technology that we have, there's really no excuse yeah. for, for not being prepared because the information is available to you. It's just a matter of you availing yourself of it because it, it, it's all there, both in-house and online. There's everything you could, you could need to know. So then it becomes, okay, what do I need to know, where to find it, and then, and then how do I incorporate that, incorporate that into whatever show I happen to be on at that point? Mm -hmm. How does your, or if it has at all, how has your preparation changed over the last two decades for, you know, anchoring a sports show because of that development in technology and accessibility of information? I mean, it's just, it's just so much easier. I mean, when I was in local TV, and it was Friday night and you had to go and cover high school football and you're going to four or five different games, hoping and praying you get a touchdown in the first five minutes that you're there. So you can go into the next game and shoot a little bit of that game. And then you, I would have to have to give somebody a business card and say, please, can you call the station tip line and give me the final score when this game is over? Cause there was literally no other way to know mm -hmm. how that game ended. Now, I mean, even with high school scores, you can go on the internet and, and you can find it. So it's, it's, you know, I know with the advent of MMJs, multimedia journalists, and you know what what younger broadcasters are called on to do now in terms of shooting and editing and and and, and posting on on social media sites. Everything I know, there's a lot, mm -hmm. but imagine not being able to get the information that you need, critical information like, hey, here's a touchdown for Western Branch. Uh, we don't know the final score, but hey, <laughs> that guy scored a touchdown. You know. Uh, you would literally be in that position if that person didn't call. Mm -hmm. And you'd have to try to find the scores and call somebody you know who went to that school and see if they could call somebody who was at the game. And it was just, it was just really difficult to get some of the information that you needed. Now, it's, it, it's a whole lot easier. Um, like I said, now the, the big thing is editing. You know, the big thing is editing, figuring out, or, or I should say curating, yeah. curating who you need to follow and, and what sites you need to go to, to find the information that you need, you know, to, uh, to, to, to get the job done. Certainly. And then how did you kind of work your way up 
from that that first show that you told me about Sunday one to four alone <laughs> to when where you are now is the late night sports center. Uh, well, I've done a lot of different things at ESPN, but Sports Center has always kind of been my my home. Mm-hmm. I've branched out a little bit, done some other things here and there, but Sports Center has kind of always been my home. So really, after about I would say nine months of doing ESPN News, I I, I did my first Sports Center, um, and then. You know, filled in from time to time, um, but it wasn't my, my main job. And then before we moved to L.A., I started doing sports on the weekends on a pretty regular basis mm-hmm. on a Saturday and Sunday. And then in 2009, the L.A. studio opened up and then I became, you know, a full time everyday sports center anchor. Um, so really, it's been 2009 that I've been that I've been doing it pretty much every day. Um, there was a point when I was in Bristol where in a five day work week, I might do five different shows. It might be an ESPN news shift, a sports center, an NFL live, um, an NBA show. Um, and you know, it, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, because you know, there, there, there were the things that I'm interested in the, the, the sports that I really follow that I'm really interested in. Um, and it, it gave me a lot of diversity in my, in, in my schedule but it, it made for a sort of a chaotic life because one show might be on at 4 p.m. in the afternoon and then the next day I may be working at 11 o'clock at night and then, and then back to 3 o'clock in the afternoon the next day and then back to 1 a.m., you know. So those late nights into an afternoon show are, are, are kind of challenging because the meeting for that afternoon show is usually in the morning. Mm-hmm. So that, that 1 a.m. sports center into an NFL Live becomes one big long work day with a little bit of sleep in between. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, uh, as somebody who, as you just said, has worn a lot of different hats for ESPN, aside from the obvious content differential, I mean, what are some of the slight differences in hosting a show like NFL Live or an ESPN News show when that was still on versus hosting SportsCenter? So SportsCenter is more anchor-driven. We do bring on analysts, um, but for quick hits. Mm -hmm. Um, Shows like NFL Live or NBA Countdown, I mean, they're really analyst-driven. And so your job on SportsCenter, you have to score and distribute the ball. Okay. On, on the NBA Countdown or, or NFL Live, you're more of a pure point guard. You're not asked to score a lot of points. You distribute, get the ball to other people in the places where they like it so they can score. So that, I think that's, the, that's the, the main difference between those types of shows. Um, your, your job on, on SportsCenter is to, is to host the show. You're you're the, the, the main conduit to getting the information out there. On a show like NBA Countdown or, or, or NFL Live, your job is more to set up the analyst so that they can perform at the level that, that they can best perform because that's what the people really want to know. The sports-specific shows, people really want detailed information about that game or about that sport and the analysts are really the ones who, who can provide that, um, who, can, who can help the viewer see the game through a player's eyes or through a coach's eyes. And so that's the major difference, I think, between hosting those two different programs. What was the moment like for you when in 2009 when you became the full-time, pretty much full-time sports center host? I mean, you've been telling us over the last half hour or so that that is what you had been working towards all throughout your early career. That is the goal that you had your eyes on. That is why you did everything you did. So, I mean, just what was that moment like for you when you finally got there? 
It was it was beautiful. It was beautiful. I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm a I'm a city person. You know, I I don't I prefer to live in cities. I like culture. I like restaurants. I like nightlife. I like you know I like everything that comes with living in a city. And so to not only get my dream job, but in a dream location like mm -hmm. Los Angeles, it's just I mean I was I was overwhelmed. I mean it was it was just you know, it made all the hard work and all the sacrifice, the personal sacrifice that I'd gone into developing my career, it made it all worth it because this is, you know, this is what you envision mm -hmm. when you say, this is what I want to do. Um, this is what you envision. And, and for it to be as good in real life as I dreamed it would be, it's just, it's just fantastic. I mean, I, I, I don't I don't even know how to really put it into words and I work with words every day. <laughs> um, the level of happiness and satisfaction I have with everything that comes along with it. Do you remember your first show? Oh yeah, absolutely. It was uh, April 6th, 2009. It was the night of the, the, the college football national championship game. And uh, Stuart Scott was with us because initially he did some of the shows from LA um, but it was me and Stuart and Neil, and it was, uh, I was like, wow, this is, this is really happening, you know? And we had done maybe about a month of rehearsals before then, just to, because this was the first sports center that didn't emanate from Bristol on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So there was, there was, there was some concern about, about how this is all going to work and, and making sure we could have the same look and the same presentation as Bristol, because the idea was hey, it's from Los Angeles and there are certain unique um, graphic elements about that show. But in terms of its overall presentation, when people turn it on, they should see what looks like SportsCenter to them. Yeah. And so we just wanted to make sure we had that. So we did a lot of rehearsing to make sure everything was what it, what it was, that the equipment worked, <laughs> and that we could actually get the show on the air. So, but, but then to actually go live with it that night, it was, it was, it was phenomenal. I mean, we all went out and, celebrated that night and it was it was fantastic now i have to earn my salary so stay tuned for more press pass after this absolutely we've talked a lot about you know kind of how you got into espn and the path you took in the espn to get to where you are but now with this contract extension you're going to be there for a couple of years so just give us kind of a look into what you're look really looking forward to over the next couple of years now that you're once again at espn for the longer term uh you know, it's important to me that that we're consistent, that we maintain the quality of the broadcast every single night, you know, because not everybody watches sports center every single night. Some people watch it, you know, when they have time. Yeah. Um, so if if you get a person who, you know, on a random Wednesday night is watching sports center, um, you owe that person. Um, the, the obligation that 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 this is not going to be a bad show for you you know there, there there aren't supposed to be any bad shows i mean there's a level of expectation that comes with sports and with that brand that that has to be respected that has to be top of mind i mean people have have come to expect a certain level of quality of information of 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 um total excellence mm -hmm. from sports center. And, you know, I look at it as we are the caretakers of that legacy. It's been handed to us. It's a tremendous uh, honor 
but it's also a tremendous responsibility. Um, I think about it like um, Coca-Cola or McDonald's. I mean, if you go, if you open up a, a can of Coca-Cola, you know what it's supposed to taste like. Mm -hmm. and, and if it doesn't taste the way it's supposed to taste, then there's a problem because there's, there's a standardization there that people have come to expect. If you go to McDonald's and you order a Big Mac and it's got ketchup on it, um, or it's got, uh, you know, something besides two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun, then and wait a minute, that's not, that's not what I ordered. It's not a Big Mac, you know? And so people have come to expect uh, Sports Center to live up to the brand. And um, I've always taken that very seriously. Like this is, this is something that I dreamed about doing. So now that I have the opportunity to do it, you know, you, you can't half-ass it at all, ever. Because there's an expectation there. You have to meet that expectation all the time. And kind of going in hand with that, I mean, what, like you said, the Sports Center is on par with Coca-Cola and McDonald's and that it's like a national brand. Everybody in America knows exactly what Sports Center is. At this point, it's even beyond that. It's international. And you, Stan, are the face of that late night Sports Center. You were their first host when it aired from L.A. I mean, just what does that mean to you to be able to say, to be able to consider yourself that? Well, you know, I, I don't think about it like that because it's overwhelming. I remember I was in LaGuardia Airport in the Delta uh, Sky Club. I'm sorry, they have, LaGuardia. They have, <laughs> they have these massive monitors. I mean, the monitors are like floor to ceiling. I mean, mm -hmm. massive televisions. And, and one time I'm in this early in the morning and, um, and, and, and I'm flying out of New York and I look up and, and Sports Center's on. And, and, and I'm not on, but... I forget it was on, but I mean, they're just on these massive monitors. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh my God, I'm on these monitors of this size <laughs> in LaGuardia Airport. People are going all over the world. I mean, I have no idea who's seeing this here. And that thought can be overwhelming for me. Mm -hmm. Like it, 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 it can make you obsess about things. So I just try to approach it as like, look, this is my job. You know, it's, it's what I've always done. It's what I'm prepared to do. It's, it's what I've, Hold on. Yep. There we go. You're my screen went out. Okay. Uh, it, it's my job. It's it's what I prepared to do. Um, it's it, it's what I know how to do, mm -hmm. and so I just approach it that way. Say so if I focus on the process of doing the job, um, at the level I expect, then the results will take care of itself. The finished product that the viewer sees will take care of itself, and they'll be happy with it. I have to focus not on the enormity of of what it means of what it is i have to just focus on the details of making it right of doing it the way i expect to do it and so that'll take care of itself so i i, I don't think about it you know it, I, I i often think about what does an nba player think about when he's at the free throw line for two free throws with a few seconds to go in the game that could potentially win the game. Well, if he thinks about those two free throws and what they mean, okay, he's probably going to miss. Because mm -hmm. that's not what he should be thinking about. He should be thinking about what are the fundamentals that I've practiced over and over and over again to make free throws. And then we'll deal with the fact that they were to win the game later after we won the game. But there is no winning the game if I don't focus on the fundamentals of shooting free throws. Whatever those particular fundamentals that that player has to concentrate on to get the best result, you know, and same thing. I, I play a ton of golf. It's the same thing with golf. If you have a 
10 foot putt to beat your buddies for 20 bucks. If you start counting the 20 bucks before you concentrate on speed and line and getting that putt to the hole, well, guess what? You're never going to see that 20 bucks. You're going to be pulling out of your pocket instead of putting into your pocket. So I, I approach the show the same way. Just focus on the fundamentals that are a part of doing that show night in and night out. And then the results take care of themselves. Absolutely. And I think that's an excellent mindset to have for any of you young journalists who are listening out there. And Stan, for the last question, I just have one very simple one. It's how I end all my podcasts here. Is there what's anything about this business that you now know as a seasoned veteran and a guy who's been at ESPN for 20 years? What's something about this industry you know now that you wish you knew back when you were starting out at Norfolk or New Orleans? Um, I think I went in with a realistic understanding of, of what I was getting myself into mm. because, because I got started so young, because I was hanging out at a radio station in, in, in high school. And I knew then, like, the, the announcers at that station were from all over. Like, they weren't from New Orleans. They were from all over. But a job opened up in New Orleans, and they took it and, and made a name for themselves in New Orleans, okay? So one of the things I learned then was you're not going to have a lot of control over where you live when you, when you start out. Mm. Uh, that's just the reality of the business. You, you, you have to climb, and, you know, wherever – the job presents itself, uh, you, you have to go and get it, okay? And so then that underscores what I think is the main thing that I tell young journalists, particularly young people who want to be on TV. This is an incredibly competitive business. And the people who are ultimately successful throw the weight of their entire lives, at least to start, into their careers. Uh, I remember the first few years, like I said, when, when I thought about going to business school, going to law school, I actually took the entrance exams for both and did very, very well on both of them and had, you know, JD MBA offers from Ivy League schools to go and get, you know, those two degrees, which could have changed my life. Mm -hmm. And so, but it's a totally separate career. But when I decided, okay, television is what, what I want to do, I knew in order to, to, to make this a success, you know, I, I have to put everything I have into this. I, it, it's gonna determine where I live. It's gonna determine uh, how much money I make. It's gonna determine my social life um, in terms of working evenings and, and, and holidays and weekends. I mean, it's, um, it's not for everybody. It's really not. And I think most young people after about three or four years, you really start to decide after you get out of college, whether this is for you, because at that point, you know, some of your friends who are going to business school are out, they have great jobs and they're making a lot of money and they're living in New York, or Chicago or LA or wherever. And you're stuck in small market USA, still trying to make the climb. And your friends who went to law school are getting out and, you know, they're attorneys now, junior associates. And there's a certain amount of glamor with those kinds of jobs. And, and, you know, your friends who went to medical school are on the way to becoming doctors. I mean, and so it can really, at least for me, it really made me question, okay, is this, is this going to work out? Is this going to be what you want it to be? And I said, it's only going to be what I want it to be if I make it what I want it to be. And that, that involved, as I said, throwing the weight of my entire life, you know, behind this. When, when I was in college, my sophomore year, um, I was working at, at, a, at a radio station in D.C. And the semester's over. And I'm getting ready to go home for Christmas. 
And I go to the radio station to pick up my paycheck and to say goodbye to the program director and, you know, thank him for everything he had done because that was my first semester working there. And I'm thinking on an academic calendar. And so I go in and I say, hey, man, you know, Merry Christmas. You know, I'll see you when I get back. I'll be back on January 3rd. He's like, back on January 3rd? He was like, go look at the schedule. Come back and talk to me. So I go in and look at the schedule. I'm on every night, the entire Christmas break, starting that night. <laughs> I was leaving from the station to go to the airport to fly home to New Orleans, and I'm working that night. And so I, I go, and I'm like, well, I don't understand. Like, I'm on, I'm on Christmas break. And he said, listen, you're a part-time announcer at this station. Now, at the first of the year, I'm going to evaluate everybody on the staff. The number one criteria for part-time announcers is how available are they to work when full-timers are off, which is the situation we're in right now. How do you think you're going to do being evaluated on that criteria if you go to New Orleans? Now, I'm not telling you not to go. I'm just asking you, how do you think you will be evaluated on that criteria? I said, not very well. He said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the decision up to you. We'll pay for your flight, you know, so you don't lose any money in this, but I need you to work during this break starting tonight. So now I got some real dilemmas that I have to figure out in a few hours. First of all, the dorm is closing. So I have nowhere to live, okay? So I go back to the dorm, start calling around, hey man, who do we know has got an off-campus apartment where I can stay? So a buddy of mine, um, who's actually, his family had a little cash and he had a really nice apartment in downtown DC. So, oh man, I've been looking for somebody to stay in my place. I'm like, I got you. So I wound up, you know, staying there for the whole time, but there was, you know, there's no family. Um, there's no Christmas dinner. There's no New Year's Eve party, you know. Um, there's work every night, um, seven to midnight, some nights, midnight to six the other nights. Um, and it's snowing like crazy in DC though holidays. I mean, if if it were not for the fact that I signed up for this, I understand what goes in, it could have been miserable. It wasn't miserable for me because I felt like, okay, this is another step in the right direction. Once I got over the initial shock of it, um, and I think that Christmas break, I learned what it meant to be a professional. I learned what it meant to make the necessary sacrifices to be successful in doing it. And it's never been a problem since then. But the initial shock of standing in that office, realizing I'm not going to see my family. There's not going to be a Christmas break. I'm going to go from school to working the whole break back to school again, um, it, it was a shock to the system, but it prepared me for the other sacrifices, the, the Christmas in, in Charleston where I had to work and I went to the Waffle House to go eat and the pipes had frozen over. And so they didn't have anything to drink except milk and I don't drink milk. So I had to eat with literally nothing to drink. And then I leave out of the Waffle House, I'm driving home, I slide through an intersection, ram my car into a telephone pole, and I'm sitting there like, so this is my life. It's Christmas Day. I just had I just had Christmas dinner at the Waffle House with nothing to drink. And now I've smashed my car into a telephone pole on a frozen street. This is awesome. You know? <laughs> but it's 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 you know, everybody's got stories like that, mm. you know, if if they've been in the business for a while. And it just kind of comes with the territory. So that's what I tell young people. Look, there's gonna be sacrifice involved. Um, there's gonna be gut-wrenching. Uh, situations where you're going to miss things that you really want to be a part of because you have to work, but you have to work. 
And that, that's just kind of how it goes. And so if you can't do that, if that's not for you, then you're not, you're not going to be successful doing this. You probably do something else. I mean, if this is not what you act like, I don't know what I would be doing if, 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 I, if I wasn't doing this. Um, I'm sure I'd figure something out and I'm sure I would have, I'm a glass half full kind of person. So I think I would have figured out something to do, something that gives me some enjoyment, probably something sort of related to this, but I don't know that. I can't tell you right now, this is what I'd be doing if I weren't doing this. So, so I, I almost think that's how you have to be because there are going to be times when you're going to be asked to do things that are just like, oh, really? Um, and, and, and you have to do them. And, and not only do you have to do them, but you have to do them in a way that um, hides your displeasure in having to do them. Because, you know, I can't go in the air that, ah, oh, it's Christmas and I'm stuck here doing this show. All right, let's get on with it. You know what I mean? That's not the approach. The approach has to be, there's no way I'd rather be than right here doing this show for you on Christmas. And you have to internalize that and, and, and bring that to the audience. So the sacrifice is a big part of it. And you have to be ready for that. You have to embrace that. Um, and then you have to, you have to put everything you have into the work because there could be a job open in, you know, Asheville, North Carolina, which doesn't pay a lot of money, which isn't a big, huge market. And they may get 300 tapes, you know? Um, and so how do you, how do you distinguish yourself among those people? I've, I've sat and watched news directors watch resume tapes. Mm. And it, it's frightening to do as an, as an anchor or a reporter, it's frightening to do, to watch them because you're like, wait a minute, that person put his heart and soul into this tape and you gave him 10 seconds. You gave him 10 seconds. Like, no, he just didn't have it. You're like, well, what? that could have been me. You're like, what, what do you mean? Give him, give him five minutes at least. Like, I got 300 tapes. I don't have five minutes for, for 300 tapes. So that's just the reality of the business. And so if, if, there you go. All right. if you're not up for that sort of competition, if you don't have the belief in yourself that I'm going to be the one to stand out in the pile of 300 tapes, there's probably something else you, you could be doing that would fit you better. Um, and that's not to discourage anyone because as I said, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. I really want to see people be successful in whatever it is that they choose to do, but that's just the reality of business. It, it, it's tough. Um, it's, um, it requires a lot of sacrifice, but in the end, as I said, it's all worth it. it, it it's all worth it. I mean, I, I would do it all over again uh, if, if, if I had the choice because it, it's worth it in the end. I think it's especially, it's especially impressive to hear you say that since you ate at a Waffle House with nothing to drink. That's, <laughs> that's like hell on earth. Let me tell you, waffles don't go down very easily without something to drink. They really don't. <laughs> Especially not at Waffle House, man. Those things are funny. <laughs> I hey, I look, I love Waffle House. Waffle House got me through a lot of low budget meals. When I needed <laughs> when I needed low budget meals, the Waffle House was there for me with low budget meals. So I'm I I got nothing but love for the Waffle House. All right. Well, if somebody from Waffle House is listening, I think you got a main four spokesperson right here. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, Stan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. It was really great hearing, uh, hearing you talk about your career, and I think there's a lot of great takeaways in here, so I really appreciate it. All right, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it as well. Of course, and thank you, as always, listeners, for tuning in to the Big Leads Press Pass podcast. I am your host, Liam McEwen, signing off.